gentlemen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines a new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Shrek the Musical. Keep your big, bright, beautiful world. How are we doing? It must be asked at the top of every episode. We need to check in with each other. We need to try and get on the same page. Patty in the booth, thank you so much. Doing so much for this show every single week. Patty and I, we have a movie date in the future. Is that correct, Patty? Yes. I saw Patty reading What to Expect When You're Expecting, that seminal tome for future parents. And I asked her if she was aware of the fact that in 2012, the book was adapted, quote-unquote, for the big screen. It was turned into a film. It stars Cameron Diaz, Jennifer Lopez, other people. We're going to find out, right? She was reluctant at first, but then I convinced her that it would be a delightful experience. I've never seen it. She's never seen it. So we'll report back to you next week. We're going we're gonna to find out how, how we feel about what to expect when you're expecting the motion picture. Uh, at the top of this episode, I would just like to talk about another film. Uh, I would like to stay on the subject of films for just a second. Uh, my boyfriend Chris and I recently watched the <laughs> seminal Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle, The Quest. I am a big fan of the How Did This Get Made podcast, and it has been my goal for some time now to watch all of the movies that have ever been covered on How Did This Get Made, one of them being The Quest. And we sat down to watch it, and I was shocked. There are several moments where this sound cue is played, and it sounds exactly like, look down, look down, don't look them in the eye, from Les Miserables. I wish I could play this chunk of the score for you, but it does not seem to exist on the official soundtrack for the film. I listened to all of the tracks that were available on YouTube. Someone uploaded the entire score to YouTube, but it's not there. I have I have, I have this raw gut feeling theory that someone tapped the composer on the shoulder and said, no, you can't actually put that on the official score. Somehow you snuck it into the film itself. This is such a transparent ripoff of Les Miserables that, no, we have to draw the line somewhere, and we're drawing it right here. It sounds exactly like it, except for right at the end, they change it to, so you hear, mm-hmm, ha-ha, da-da-da-da-da-da, then it repeats, da-da, da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da, like it changes right at the end, so maybe 3% of this overall sound is different, but they knew what they were fucking doing. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. They should be in jail. Lock them up. Lock them up. We are here today. <laughs> we are here today to celebrate marriage and discuss Shrek the Musical. So let's get some show facts regarding Shrek the Musical. Shrek the Musical is based on the 2001 DreamWorks animation film, which is itself an adaptation of the 1990 William Stieg book, Shrek. 
I've taken a look at some of the illustrations from that book, and they're very scratchy and charming. I really like the illustrations. I wasn't even aware that a book existed, so right off the bat, I was learning. I was uh, I was discovering new things, which is always great. It's a great part of the podcast for me, and I hope it is for you, too. Shrek the Musical is one of the few Broadway adaptations of an animated film that doesn't fall under Disney's corporate purview. The only other example I could find was Anastasia, and I'm pretty sure that's it. Is that it? If I'm honestly asking, if you can think of other animated film adaptations for the Broadway stage, I want to know about them. If they if they don't fall under the Disney platform, tell me about them. SpongeBob SquarePants, by the way, that doesn't count. That's a TV adaptation. I know there's an adaptation of The Prince of Egypt, but that hasn't made its way to Broadway. So give me a call when you get to Broadway, okay, Prince? Okay. Shrek the Musical was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical back in 2009. The show opened on Broadway on December 14th, 2008 at the Broadway Theater and ran for 441 performances. The book was written by David Lindsay Bear. The music was written by Janine Tesori, and the lyrics were written by David Lindsay Bear, making a second appearance. The director was Jason Moore, the choreographer, Josh Prince, the set design by Tim Hatley, costume design by Tim Hatley, and the original Broadway cast included Brian Darcy James, who you might know from his other Broadway credits, including Titanic, The Wild Party, Floyd Collins. You might also know him from television. He was a cast member on Smash. <laughs> the Shrek cast it also included Sutton Foster, who you might know from Thoroughly Modern Millie, Little Women, The Drowsy Chaperone, or her TV show, Buntheads. The cast was rounded out by Daniel Breaker, Christopher Sieber, John Tartaglia, Haven Burton, Amy Garcia, Rachel Stern. Additional Tony nods for Shrek the Musical. David Lindsay Abair was nominated for Best Book of a Musical. Janine Tesori and David Lindsay Abair uh, received a, a joint nomination for Best Original Score. Brian Darcy James received a nomination for Best Actor in a Musical. Sutton Foster was nominated for Best Actress in a Musical. Christopher Saber was uh, nominated for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. And Danny Trube and John Clancy, uh, that's another joint nomination. They were nominated for Best Orchestrations. The only award that it won uh, was for Best Costume Design, and that went to Tim Hatley. So including the Best Musical nomination, there were eight nominations total and one win. What is Shrek the Musical about? Hmm. Well, uh, if you're not familiar with the source material, the book or the film, the film being, I would think, much more uh, popular, much more prominent in the zeitgeist, uh, Shrek is basically into the woods for kids who are too young to really get into the woods. You know what I mean? It's into the woods, but with fart jokes. Shrek is an ogre. He lives in a land of fairy tale creatures. At the age of seven, he was told by his his ogre mama and ogre papa, that he, per ogre tradition, uh, had to move out of the house and live his own life. So at seven years old, he hit the road, and the only piece of advice he was given by his mama ogre and papa ogre was that he would always be feared and hated by everyone he ever encountered. He would never have any friends, and he would never know love. This is coming, by the way, this is not pointed out, but he is being told this by <laughs> by a joined pair of ogres. This is a pair of ogres who found love. They, they, they had a child together. So this idea that he'll never find love and never have friends is so patently untrue. 
They don't even encourage him to go out and try and find another ogre that he might be able to love. You know, like like they love each other. No, they just tell him you're doomed. Your entire existence <laughs> is predicated on the idea that you will be loathed and harassed. And the only thing that you can do to battle that, to combat that, is to scare the living shit out of anyone before they can kill you. And that's the philosophy he adopts. This idea that everyone is out to get him, so the best thing for him to do is to live on his own. He rejects the world, he rejects society, and he lives in a swamp, completely cordoned off by himself. A problem arises, though, when a gaggle of fairy tale creatures arrive at his swamp. They have been relocated by Lord Farquaad, a diminutive little dictator overlord who has decided that anyone who is deemed freakish or strange must be removed from his lands, from his kingdom. So all of these fairy tale creatures are now told to live on Shrek's swamp. Shrek is, of course, really annoyed by this because he wants to be on his own. And so he agrees to help the fairy tale creatures get their homes back. He goes on the road and he is reluctantly paired with a character known as Donkey. Uh, Donkey is considered a freak by Lord Farquaad's forces because he is a talking donkey. Uh, if I suppose if he were a non-talking donkey, there would be no problem. But Donkey is a big old chatterbox, and when Shrek saves him from a pair of Lord Farquaad's knights, uh, Donkey decides that they are now best friends. Shrek is not a fan of this. They go to visit Lord Farquaad, uh, who... Uh, Lord Farquaad considers himself to be the ruler of his lands, but he's not a king. He is told this by his magic mirror. The only way he can become a true king is if he marries a proper princess. And so Lord Farquaad gets it in his mind that he is going to marry one particular princess, that being Princess Fiona, who has for her entire life lived at the top of a tower that is guarded by a dragon. He, uh, of course, is not going to go save her on his own accord. He's going to uh, put that work to someone else. And when Shrek shows up demanding his swamp back, Lord Farquaad sees his opportunity. He sees Shrek as being very disposable. So he tasks Shrek with the job of saving Fiona. And if he can do that, uh, he will make sure that a lease will be signed uh, in entitling Shrek to his swamp lands. So he and Donkey uh, travel off. They save Princess Fiona from a dragon. Uh, during that process, I should say, the dragon falls in love with Donkey. Uh, there's a whole production number we'll get into about that. Uh, Princess Fiona uh, has been stuck in this tower since she was seven years old, and she has been counting the days waiting for her perfect white knight rescuer. She has read every single fairy tale that has ever been written, and she knows how this is supposed to go. She has fallen in love with the idea of love, romance, and uh, this concept of getting married, and she thinks it's supposed to go a certain way. It's supposed to be perfect, and Shrek is not the shining white knight that she expected. He's an ogre, and she's really thrown by this. Uh, so, so much so that you almost immediately start to wonder what exactly is going on with Fiona. Uh, this is further deepened, this idea that something is going on with her when she insists on being alone after sunset. And we find out that that is because she is actually at night transformed into an ogre. A, an enchantment was placed upon her when she was a baby and she at night turns into an ogre and she's horrified by this. She doesn't want anyone to know about it because she's afraid that Lord Farquaad will not marry her if this truth gets out. 
uh, Donkey tries to encourage her to tell Shrek about this because at, during their travels together, Shrek and Fiona actually bond. They bond over this idea that they both had uh, really hard lives. Donkey knows that there is some romantic chemistry there, and he encourages Fiona to uh, be honest with Shrek. Uh, Shrek overhears only part of this conversation, the tail end of this conversation, in which Fiona says, who could ever love such a horrifying beast? He doesn't realize that she's talking about herself. He thinks that she is talking about him. And this really bums him out because he was mere moments away from expressing his feelings for Fiona. And he uh, ends this road trip to Lord Farquaad's castle being very angry with her. And he declares that uh, from here on out, now that he has his lease, he's going to build a wall. He's going to surround himself by this 10-foot wall. And he's never going to let anyone affect him ever again. And he rejects Donkey's friendship. And he rejects the feelings that he had for Fiona. Then Donkey, I'm pretty sure Donkey just straight up reveals uh, Fiona's past and Shrek realizes, oh, I really need to fix this. She can't, I didn't know, I didn't know the truth. I, I, I can't let her marry Lord Farquaad. They confront Lord Farquaad. He uh, discovers that uh, Fiona is an ogre because the sun sets before the nuptials can be solidified, and he's horrified, and he, he tells Princess Fiona, well, the marriage is binding. I'm not gonna fucking deal with this. I'm gonna throw you back in that tower for the rest of your life, and now I'm a king, baby. Ha ha ha! I'm the villain, I do say. And that's when the dragon <laughs> smashes its way through a gigantic stained glass window and straight up eats him. <laughs> and Shrek and Fiona are able to declare their love for each other. And everyone is happy. Yay! <laughs> the end. That's the plot of Shrek the musical. I think the one thing I'll say, I have a couple of thoughts about this plot overall before we get into the song breakdown. I'm a little confused as to the rules of Fiona's enchantment. I'm not sure how it works exactly. I'm pretty sure she was born human, and then at a certain point she started turning into an ogre at night post the enchantment, post this curse. But at the end of the show, when she kisses Shrek, she takes what is what is defined as true love's form, and that that form is an ogre. She becomes an ogre permanently for the rest of her days because she's fallen in love with Shrek. So depending on <laughs> depending on who she was meant to be with, she would just <laughs> go that way. She would just lean that way, and that's how her identity would be sealed. It, I'm not quite sure what we're saying. We're pairing like with like, ogre with ogre, and I think that's a little, I don't know, there's something problematic there that's sort of hard for me to define. When I first watched the movie as a kid, I was really intrigued when they started laying seeds for a romance between Shrek and Fiona, and at that point I hadn't learned that Fiona was turning into an ogre at night, and I thought, oh, that's really interesting, this idea that a human being and an ogre are falling for each other. That's very interesting. If they had really followed through with that, Fiona would have to deal with the fact that she is falling in love with someone who is considered other, who is considered lesser than. Everyone in the kingdom looks at Trek and assumes that he's a monster, that he's a barbarian, and it would be very difficult for her to kind of get over that 
hump. Uh, it's Brothers Grimm meets Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. <laughs> but no, ultimately they're both just ogres, so it's fine, I guess. Like, that's permissible. Let's not forget that in the film, they don't talk about this in the stage show, but at the end of the movie it's revealed that Donkey and the Dragon, maybe this is in Shrek 2, I'm not sure, but eventually Donkey and the Dragon they fuck, and they have babies. Little donkey babies that have dragon wings? Why is that a permissible coupling? Dragon and donkey, yes. Human and ogre, nah, that's a little, nah, we're not really comfortable with that. Let's just make sure that she, at the end of the day, is an ogre. In general, there's a lot going on with themes of identity and civil rights in this show, so much so that uh, it's so undercooked overall, but uh, it, it, it really is baffling. <laughs> they're, they're trying to score points in certain areas with themes of identity, but in others, it, they really drop the ball in other instances. But that's, that's the plot description. That's Trek the Musical. Look, I have some problems with it. And there are only a couple of songs that I genuinely really like. So I'm just going to put that out there right up top. For the purposes of this episode, I listened to the 2008 original Broadway cast album. And I watched the film that is on Netflix of the stage show. So they filmed the Broadway production in 2013 that is currently available on Netflix. It is simply known as Shrek the Musical. I would argue that if you want to engage with the material, just listen to the album instead of watching the full film. It's over two hours long, and honestly, listening to the score just on its own is a much more pleasurable experience. If you'll recall, I really liked Spike Lee's filming of Passing Strange and his use of extreme close-ups. In this instance, with Shrek the Musical, we, we get those here as well, but the character designs were never meant to be examined so closely. It's a really unsettling experience when you're that close to <laughs> when you're that close to Brian Darcy James dressed up in Shrek prosthetics or Donkey with his crazy fur costume and his neck stripes I could never get over how Donkey's makeup design includes like just very obvious vertical neck stripes of various browns and grays and whites it's very strange we're no, we're just not meant to get this close and the fairy tale creatures especially the fairy tale creature ensemble oh they're very disturbing up close it's, <laughs> we were never meant to. It's just, this is wrong. This is against God's will. <laughs> Man was never meant to get so close to Shrek. Uh, let's talk about those songs. So the, the show opens with Big Bright Beautiful World. Listen, son, you're growing up so quickly. Growing up bigger. I almost, this is crazy, but I listened to the album and then I watched the movie and I almost cried while watching the movie, watching this opening. I may be falling apart as a human being. I don't know what this podcast is doing to me, but I do think as I get older, I'm a much more sensitive, gooey person. I, I really enjoy the pleasant Irish lilt in this. It's very uh, comforting and relaxing. And Rachel Stern as Shrek's Mama Ogre, I love her voice in the clip that you just 
just heard. Again, very relaxing, very comforting. I don't know, maybe something... I, passing Strange's mama themes really got to me, and I guess I'm just being affected on the same chemical level here. Like, oh no, Shrek's mother is talking to him and she's being sweet. Oh, I love my mommy too! <laughs> I guess they're really just pulling on that very easy heartstring for me. But I, again, I really do like Rachel Stern in her. She's only on stage as the Mama Ogre in this opening, but it's very impactful. Papa Ogre, not so much. <laughs> I guess there are no Papa Ogre heartstrings that are being pulled for me. Uh, this song is really nice. I really like it. It's a very gentle way of opening the show. But then... Then we understand right from the get-go what the show will be doing. It'll be battling with itself from beginning to end. There are going to be moments of really nice, genuine sentiment, and then there's going to be really bland, more harsh attempts at uh, catching a mainstream sensibility. And the moment where this song turns for me is when uh, we see adult Shrek on the stage for the first time, and we hear the inclusion of guitar, and a Broadway rock guitar to me is just so ho-hum and so generic. Whenever it pops up in any show, I just sort of, these days at least, within the last 10 years or so, the, the rock guitar in, in the Broadway context, it's just so blasé and boring. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the battle, the, the seesaw balance that they're going to try and achieve throughout this entire show. Sometimes they want to write a show that uh, is exploring real adult mature feelings and sentiments and ideas, and then for the most part, the other end of that is going to be really bad pop culture jokes and some really loud, shrill tones. Uh, they're really screaming to the back of the house, just in case the, the hopped up, hepped up nine-year-old in the back row can't understand what's going on. They're just going to hit that kid with as much of volume and, and nonsense as they possibly can. The best example of that, uh, right, right after Big Bright Beautiful World, the second song is Story of My Life. Uh, this is sung by the fairy tale ensemble. Man, I tell you, sometimes being a fairy tale creature sucks pine sap. Life is disappointing. Woe is what I know. Outed by my nose, that's just how it goes. For poor Pinocchio. Story of my life. I find. <laughs> I find, no offense to the original performer, but I find Pinocchio to be incredibly grating as a character. It's bad enough hearing him, hearing that shrill character voice, but again, seeing him on stage, it's just so... I, I Pinocchio aesthetically really makes my skin crawl. It makes my fingernails curl backwards is, is what it does. Uh, he makes me wince. Uh, his costume design bothers me on a chemical level. He talks about catching a case of Dutch Elms disease in Tijuana. This is worse than that case of Dutch Elm disease I caught in Tijuana! This is what I'm talking about. This is stupid shit that we're talking about. These jokes are bad for the most part, and I really can't deal with it. Uh, this show, this song also includes a reference to Gypsy, of all things. Uh, there are more than a few Broadway musical theater inside baseball geek jokes here, and I guess... I don't know. If you're into that sort of thing, if you can kind of get a, a, a hearty chuckle out of that kind of thing, that's fine. I just, I really can't. I, I'm not on board for that kind of thing. So when I believe it's, I believe it's the mama bear of the, you know, of the classic three bear trio. I believe she says something like, mama's been kicked out. Mama's stressing out. Mama's here. It's like, yeah, right. Fine. 
my four-year-old doesn't get it, so I guess that's for me. Thank you very much. That's for me. And then the other moment that I don't like in Story of My Life is when the big bad wolf, who is wearing a nightgown, uh, it's revealed that the joke with the big bad wolf, as it was in the original film, is that he's a cross-dresser, and that's very funny. And the, the big bad wolf says something like, oh, oh, they, they called me a hot tranny mess. They tore my cotton granny dress and called me a hot and tranny mess. They use the word tranny. And I like to think that at this point, if you see the show as it's licensed, if you're doing a regional production, I'd like to think that we've changed that line. You know, we don't say that anymore, right? We don't just throw around tranny, do we? I really hope that's still not in the book. So let's just keep our fingers crossed. Don't make it, like if your school is doing it, don't make a child do that. Don't make a child say tranny. My high school, by the way, did Shrek the Musical. I have seen footage of it and it scared the living shit out of me. (laughs) It scared me to my core. It brought back memories. So many stark, harsh memories. I'll bring you soup when you feel congested. I'll bail you out when you get arrested. When things get scary And I'll shave it When it gets hairy Don't let me go Don't let me go Don't let me go Don't Let Me Go is Donkey's big song. It's uh, I'm not a huge fan of the song, but I don't hate it. It is skippable. After the first time you hear it, you know, if you ever return to the album, I'd say just jump over it. It's fine. Donkey is comparing himself and Shrek to uh, many other famous pairings, peanut butter and jelly, donuts and diabetes. I think he says at one point, uh, Pop Rocks and Mikey. But the most the most obscure, and I, I guess I did appreciate this because it was just so ridiculous, is that he he compares himself in Shrek to Chang and Ang, uh, and he's referencing Chang and Ang Bunker, the Siamese-American conjoined twin brothers, who uh, sort of put the phrase Siamese twins on the map. It put it. They put that phrase in the sort of general lexicon, and. I guess that's clever. I guess I'm going to give David Lindsay a bear the credit of, oh, yeah, that's a pairing that, you know, not every person would uh, know or appreciate. So I guess that's fun. Uh, It's one of the few references that I don't outright dismiss upon hearing it. I Know It's Today is a song that is sung by three different iterations of Princess Fiona. We see her at seven years old. We see her as a teenager. And we see Sutton Foster playing the adult Fiona towards the end of the song. Are you there?
Rachel Reshef plays the youngest version, the seven-year-old Fiona. She is much more charming than the kid from The Goodbye Girl. If you remember me, if you remember me ranting about that dumb girl, uh, that's a pretty easy hurdle to clear, I should say. But I do genuinely like Rachel Reshef on this track. Uh, the song builds to a nice crescendo, and I, I appreciate that there is some genuine sentiment and emotional depth here among all of the rib nudging. Uh, they make it very clear that you know Fiona is trying her best to remain scrappy and confident, but over time, as she counts the days, I believe towards the end, she's been in that tower for over 8,000 days, you can see that there are some cracks in the veneer that are starting to show, and she's starting to wonder what her life is ever going to amount to if she's never rescued. Uh, she's totally bought into this idea that a man will rescue her at some point, and without any other you know, competing goals or ideals or dreams or philosophies, she's been completely relegated to that. She's a prisoner. Uh, if we strip away all the fairy tale elements, her story's pretty fucked up. <laughs> What's Up Duloc is the big introduction for Lord Farquaad. There is a neat bit of staging and visual trickery that comes with the character of Farquaad. Uh, I described Farquaad as diminutive. He is supposed to be incredibly short as a character. So whenever he's on stage, uh, they employ this this idea that the actor is on his knees and the actor is wearing pitch black leg stockings and I have to assume some form of like knee pads and then in front of him he is wearing this outfit that includes a pair of very small sort of rubberized cartoonish legs and so you're running around on your knees no one's being distracted by your own legs because you're wearing the pitch black stockings and you can do a lot of very silly visual gags with that. It's one of the rare examples of creative stage on display in this show. Uh, the song itself, What's Up, Duloc, sounds like a lost track from the producers or Young Frankenstein. In general, it just sounds like something from a Mel Brooks back catalog that never got used. Uh, it's fine. There is a reprise shortly after the main song has completed itself, has finished, and the reprise ends with a Defying Gravity reference. You won't find that on the cast album. I only bring it up because references, right? Broadway nerds, yeah, Defying Gravity. Talk about fucking old hat. Even by that point, I mean, weren't we kind of sick of that? Weren't we kind of around the bend with that? I don't know. Christopher Sieber as Lord Farquaad is wildly effeminate. I don't know quite how I feel about it. Playing gay for laughs is beyond old hat, and I would argue the laughs you get as a result of playing gay aren't the laughs that you want. But I'm also not, like, outright offended by it. I'm not sitting here in a state of ghastly shock. Shrek the Musical often pushes my buttons without totally sending me into a tailspin. It, it almost knows that it can't get away with too, too much. It makes me edge. <laughs> in a negative way, it's just got me edging, and I never fully tip over into a hate orgasm. A hate orgasm, I do say. On a related note, Donkey also reads gay to me. There's a lot of gay coding on display here. I guess I am I am pretty annoyed by it because I don't, it's just, you're, ma you're essentially making fun of those mannerisms, and you're highlighting that they're inherently ridiculous and you're, I don't know, I think you are playing on prejudices there to a certain extent. Like, oh yeah, the villain is gay, or like the ridiculous side character, the comedic relief. Those characters can be gay, but the main characters, no. The leads, the straight romantic ingenues, not so much. Even when one of the, even when one of the lead ingenues is a gigantic ogre, uh, it's better to be an ogre, I guess, than ridiculously gay evil, or obnoxious gay. Uh, you know, I 
don't know. There's a lot going on there. Travel song is sung during Donkey and Shrek's journey to Princess Fiona's tower. Yeah. Oh, what the heck? I must confess, I love a road trip. Sing a song, hit the trail. Forget the maps, forget the guides. Before you know it, you've made strides with me. And I know all I need all along is a path and a pal and a song. So I'm singing and I'm palling with you. See, makes the time go by faster. Why me? This is a prime candidate for the cutting room floor. It's too long. It doesn't deepen the dynamic we established in Don't Let Me Go. Uh, That dynamic being Donkey likes Shrek and Shrek does not like Donkey. Uh, Just jump to the dragon already, for God's sake. Although, if you're a fan of references, there's more than a few in here. There's a Puss in Boots puppet. Uh, There's a Lion King reference. References! (laughs) This show's got him fucking packed to the brim. Eat up. Donkey Pot Pie. Okay, so this is the dragon's big number, and it includes what is easily the craziest reference from David Lindsay a Bear. I wrote the book on fire breathing. Why don't you read it? I'm actually already in a book club. We're reading Angela's Ashes. I'm actually already in a book club. We're reading Angela's Ashes. Angela's Ashes is a 1996 memoir by Frank McCourt that deals with alcoholism and poverty in Ireland and Brooklyn. The reference is such a stretch that it comes all the way back around from being totally inexplicable and stupid to kind of funny. Uh, This song has gone through a lot of changes uh, as the show itself has evolved overall. In the Broadway version, the singular character of the dragon was played and voiced by uh, three different women, uh, those women being Haven Burton, Amy Garcia, and Rachel Stern. Uh, And when the show went on its U.S. tour, the song was replaced by an entirely new tune called Forever, and the voice of the dragon was provided by only one performer, uh, that being, uh, I think the original performer for the U.S. tour was Carrie Compare. This is not included, the song Forever is not included on the cast album, but you can buy it as a single. We will not be hearing a clip from Forever because I didn't buy it. I couldn't really bring myself to buy it. I think that's fair, right? You're not going to get mad at me about that. I think that's a responsible decision. Uh, Donkey Pot Pie and Forever are both equally serviceable, forgettable songs for the dragon. But the latter uh, song, uh, Forever, that ends on a Dreamgirls reference. If that tickles your fancy, references, right? (laughs) It's also interesting to see how the dragon's visual style on on stage has changed so much. On Broadway, the dragon is realized by a standalone, essentially stationary, I think it can move a little bit, but it's this gigantic neck and a head, and the head is articulate, the eyes blink, the mouth opens up, but that's it. That's essentially what we see in regards to uh, the dragon's body. It is accented by ensemble members wearing scales on their backs, and I suppose that they are supposed to represent uh, the length Length of the dragon's body extending from the neck and the head. It's oddly abstract. It's a little Julie Taymor-ish for what is otherwise a very literal show in terms of its set design. Uh, nothing else is abstract or thematic. It's, it's all very fully realized and very fully functional. Uh, the touring dragon is a, a very complete puppet. So from nose to the tip of its tail, everything is on stage sort of synced together. It's just this gigantic puppet that you would see in maybe like a 
parade, and it's operated by a number of puppeteers on stage. Uh, they also kept changing whether or not the performers would be on stage with the puppet. Uh, in the in the Netflix film that you can watch, the women are on stage, and then at a certain point they realized, oh, that's weird and sort of distracting, so we're just going to have someone off stage singing into a mic. I'm kind of surprised it took them that long to figure it out. Uh, you get the sense that they wanted to uh, apply some artistry here where it wasn't necessary, uh, but I'm glad that they eventually figured it out, I guess. But I could be a poet and write a different story One that tells of glory and wipes away the lies Into the skies I'd throw it The stars would do the telling The moon would help with spelling And night would dot the eyes I'd write a verse, recite a joke With wit and perfect timing I'd share my heart, confess the things I yearn And do it all while rhyming But we all learn But we all learn An ogre always hides An ogre's fate is known An ogre always stays in the dark and all alone. So yes, I'd be a hero, and if my wish were granted, life would be enchanted, or so the story says. I find the song Who I'd Be to be honestly moving, and I really like it. I really like the lyrics that we uh, just heard in that clip. Uh, There is a light, soft touch here I appreciate after being bombarded with so much bonkers humor. Uh, It's an I Want song that finds itself deep into the first act. And what am I talking about? It's the finale for the first act. But it doesn't feel misplaced. I I didn't think necessarily that we needed to move it to an earlier point in the show. I like the fact that it closes out the first act. Uh, We're doing the work of reaffirming character bonds, weaknesses, wants, and fears. It's a genuinely rock-solid note to go out out on, and it moves me. Like I like this idea that uh, Shrek is, for the first time in his life, expressing uh, what he would want to do if he was not limited by his station, his lot in life. That's a really strong character note to, to go out on. And by having Fiona come in and repeat Shrek's statements about what it means to live an ogre's life, always being alone, always being feared, it makes fast work of expanding even further upon her character. Good morning, birds. Good morning, trees. Oh, what a lovely day. The sun's so big, it hurts my eyes. But really, that's okay. A brand new day with things to do. So many plans to make. I've had six cups of coffee, so I'm really wide awake. Once again, when we come back from the intermission, we swing right back into silliness with Morning Person. This is a song sung by Princess Fiona. It is a too-long track that only serves to recreate a single gag from the movie, that being the gag in which a bird expands and then explodes because Fiona is singing to it. Uh, We're all familiar with it. I don't know why it would be funny to see it on stage. Kids have probably seen that movie a billion times. 
I don't, why would it be funny yet again? I don't know. Uh, recreating gags from the source material almost always fails for me. Uh, so yeah, that just was never meant to work on me. I also get a little wary when modern musicals stop in their tracks to deliver a five minute tap sequence, as we see here in Morning Person. Princess Fiona as Sutton Foster just tap dances alongside an ensemble of mice. Uh, the, they're, they're men dressed as mice wearing mice shoes. It's very odd, and it goes on for way too long. When you employ tap in an otherwise dance light show, I think you're just admitting that the show is spinning its wheels a bit to achieve the two-hour runtime. Like, oh, audiences expect this show to be two hours. Uh, quick, put in a five-minute tap dance number. 20 years I sat and waited. I'm very dedicated. On the walls, the days were added. Lock, golly, those walls were padded. So I think I got you beat. I think I got That was a sad story, but I've heard better. I'm just saying A for effort. Thanks for playing. Sad to see a princess suffer, but I had it rougher. Like that time a mob with torches burned my britches. See the scorches. You're just whiny. I had a flaming hiney. As I fled, I had to wonder if I were torn asunder. Would an ogre go to heaven? Did I mention I was seven? I like I think I got you beat. It's essentially anything you can do, I can do better, but for uh, misery and woe, uh, Shrek and Fiona are trying to see uh, which of the two of them has lived a harder, more fucked up life, and in doing that, they <laughs> they come to terms with each other and they start to bond. I like it. It allows for a bond between Shrek and Fiona to form in a unique way. Uh, it's another example of the something there before Beauty and the Beast style of song making. Like, hey, I used to hate you, and it's a thing in music theater where we now like each other over the course of three minutes. Uh, get used to it. I, I can go along with that. I can suspend my disbelief for something like that. It does end on a farting and burping contest. You know, for the kids. <laughs> There's something going on around here. I've been watching and the signals are clear. A nervous laugh when she brushes his skin. The sweaty palms, the big dopey grin. With a giggle and a flip of her hair, I smell the pheromones in the air. Making goo-goo eyes over their food, they need my help here in setting the mood. Oh, you don't believe love is blind? Well, I got some friends who think otherwise. Donkey has a funky Motown riff on The Little Mermaid's Kiss the Girl. Uh, the name of that song is Make a Move. I enjoy the intro from Donkey that we just heard, as well as the inclusion of the three blind mice as his backup singers. Look, I'm trying to give the show credit where it's due, and I, I do enjoy Donkey in this in this song. It's been also far too long since we've heard Donkey sing in general. Uh, he gets a lot of attention in the first act, and then in the second act he sort of disappears into the background. And I, I know that I said 
that he was in a, he is an obnoxious character. But at that point, I guess I guess I felt bad for the performer. I was like, oh, good, he's getting to sing again. That's good. <laughs> Donkey deserves more singing time. If you're gonna hire him, have him sing. My favorite moments of the show by far are Shrek's melancholy reflections and soliloquies. And that's what we get here in spades with the song When Words Fail. When words fail, what will I do? When words fail, how will she know how I feel? When words fail, will I fail to do? I have a snowball's chance. My prospects just too grim. I spent my life stuck in the mud. Now I'm crawling out on a limb. If words fail, she'll know what I mean. If words fail, she'll just take my hand. She sees me like no one else has. If words fail, she'll understand. She'll understand. Uh, This and Who I'd Be are tied for best song in my book. Uh, those moments of serious songwriting are so few and far between. You really have to, you really do have to crawl your way through deserts of garish eye candy and obnoxious junk to get to them, but it's worth it when they arrive. They're incredible bursts of fresh air. I don't have much to say about Shrek's big 11 o'clock number, Build a Wall. Uh, I will say that it does come off in 2019 as very MAGA, <laughs> and I think that's a very easy joke for me to make. I, I've been criticizing Shrek the Musical's easy jokes, but I, I do. I'm just going to say it. Shrek, you almost expect him to put on a little red hat. He's talking about uh, walls. He really doesn't seem to be a fan of refugees and immigrants, people who are displaced. Now, there's a lot going on here. That Shrek might be a, is he a fiscal or a social conservative? I would think he's more of a social conservative. There seems to be something going on there. Uh, freak flag talking about politics. Oh, boy. Let your freak flag. sure what we're doing here politically uh, when we're making comparisons to real world phobias and prejudices, homophobia, transphobia, fear of immigrants, convicts, etc. At a certain point, okay, so in, in the context of the show, this is when the fairy tale ensemble decides that they're going to rise up against Lord Farquaad and fight for their civil rights. Pinocchio is even given a highly rushed arc 
in which he, he throughout the entire show, he's been insisting, I'm not a puppet, I'm a real boy. Why does everyone keep insisting that I'm a puppet? And it's this very obvious allegory for being gay and being closeted out of fear of reprisal. He's trying to tell the world that he is, he's not gay, he's a real man. And everyone else, every, what's so frustrating is that the rest of the ensemble is essentially saying to him, no, you're a puppet, aka no, you're gay, just come out already. Stop being so stupid. We all know what you are. That's very backwards and that's very retrograde. And right before Freak Flag starts, Pinocchio is sort of broken. He says something like, why can't I be a real boy? Why? Why? We're actually supposed to care about Pinocchio, the wooden puppet. I, I can't get over it. And all of the other characters say, Pinocchio, it's not you that needs to change. It's them. They need to change their way of thinking. Also, this entire time, we've been telling you how to identify because we feel that we know what you are and who you should identify as. So why don't you just fall in line with us, right? We're going to force your journey. We're going to force your coming out process. It's it's really muddled and really kind of fucked up. And when all the characters are declaring who they are as freaks, uh, one, at one point I think an elf says, I'm a Scientologist. Really? Really? So what are we doing? We're we're simultaneously making a joke about Scientologists. Like, ha ha ha, Scientology, that's silly. But you're saying that that's something the character is proud of. And this song is meant meant to reaffirm the idea that you should be proud of your uniqueness, what makes you you. And Scientology is included as part of that? What, what? No, we can't do that. Stop it. No, I, this is that's utterly ridiculous. Scientology is fucked up and beyond destructive and abusive. Don't no 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 no. You don't get to do that joke. I I, I forbid it. I forbid it. When Pinocchio says at the end of this song, "I'm wood, I'm good. Get used to it." Oh boy. I mean, do we get that there are real people outside of the Broadway theater who are actually advocating for their civil rights, who have been beaten or killed? while trying to achieve their civil rights. You know your commentary is weak sauce when most episodes of a given Norman Lear show do a better job of tackling certain issues and having conversations about these same subjects than you do with Shrek the Musical. Why are we even pretending as if the fairy tale ensemble is... Uh, why, why are we pretending as if they have an arc that's worth telling? We haven't seen them since the beginning of the show in the first act. They've been, they've been totally non-existent. The show is much better when it's just a road trip story focusing on Donkey, Shrek, and Fiona. Oh, and in case you were wondering, uh, Pinocchio is never going to be a sponsor for 5678 Coffee. You're not going to ha- you're not going to have to hear his voice on this show. So, uh, you can trust me on that. Don't worry about that. Much like Who I'd Be and When Words Fail, I really like the quiet reprise of Big Bright Beautiful World that Shrek sings to Fiona. At the altar, he is trying to convince her that being an ogre is not bad, that he views her as someone who is completely beautiful and worth treasuring. And again, I like when we strip everything away and just let Shrek be a a real figure, uh, someone who is driven by real desires and is learning on stage in front of us. That's real storytelling. That's not just for adults. Like That's something that kids can appreciate, too. I think a lot of kids would have been on board for more of that kind of material. You don't... uh, Barbing and farting farting is one thing. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
burping and farting is one thing, but kids, we should give kids more credit is just, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And if I was a kid, I would have liked the reprise of Big Bright Beautiful World. And I think that's how the show should have ended. I know this is crazy. We, we end on a song called This Is Our Story, in which uh, the lyric, we have bold and brand new stories to be told, is uttered. And I would argue that... If your show wants to truly stand apart from past attempts at fracturing fairy tales, you should clear out all of the pop culture references rather than lean on them for quick laughs. Relying on all that came before you and mocking all of that, uh, that doesn't make you original. That's not a bold and brand new story that's being told. Uh, you're you're really you're very cynically cashing in on everybody who put in the real work before you to make all of these conventions and these characters famous, and you're shitting all over them. It's it's like the little Calvin cartoon on the back of a pickup truck. You're pissing all over them, and I don't find that to be revolutionary. I know when the original film came out, we acted like that was the first time anyone had ever skewered fairy tales or Disney corporate culture, but we had been doing that. We had been doing that for years, for decades. And you know what? The best version of a fractured fairy tale in musical theater, we already had it before you came around, Shrek. It's called Into the Woods, dum-dums. It's the ultimate musical fairy tale takedown. So how dare you? How dare you admit? Or how dare you try to push this idea that you're bold and brand new? Give me a break. Get on out of here, Shrek. That's my vicious, red-hot takedown of Shrek the Musical. And now, uh, rather than hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee, we are instead going to get a very special shout-out to one of our loyal Patreon donors. Take it away. Yes, it's me, Dolly Levi, back again. Oh, Louie, oh, oh, Louie, is that Marisol over there at that table? Oh, could you do me a favor? Could you send over a nice slice of cake to my friend Marisol? Oh, thank you, Louie, so much. You know, it's her birthday today. Yes, that's right, it's her birthday. She's just such a dear person, and I do so want her to have a delicious, delightful slice of birthday cake. So if you could do that for me, Louie, that would be fantastic. Oh, but don't go just yet, Louie. No, 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 Louie. I have a little message that I'd like you to take with that cake. And the little message goes a little something like this. Ow, ow, ow. Before her birthday passes by, I'm gonna go and bake Marisol a cake. Before her birthday passes by, she'll get a slice of cake, chocolate, or vanilla. Oh, she's gonna chomp on the cake. She's had enough of not chomping on cake. She'll have have frosting goo, hand the sprinkles too, she will hold her fork up high, for she'll have a cake, my friend, a beautiful cake, and then she's gonna feel full, rich, ripe, and alive again before her birthday passes by, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry, what's that? Her birthday was on the 12th, oh, it's the 13th. Well, it's the principle of the thing, Louie. Now hurry up and get that cake. Ah, my goodness, what is the world coming to? Uh, uh, uh. 
Final thoughts on Shrek the Musical. You know, we've discussed two movie adaptations so far, and there's over 50 movie adaptations on our list by my count, so strap in for the future. And Shrek suffers from the subgenre's usual pitfalls, relying too much on scenes recreated from the source material, turning simple pleasures from the movie into overlong production numbers, etc. But the team behind Shrek applied just enough artistry to raise their final product over the likes of The Goodbye Girl, which decidedly does not justify its basic existence. I never once bought the sentiment being served to me by The Goodbye Girl, whereas in Shrek, when Shrek bears his soul to the audience, it works. It really does work, and I gotta give the show credit for that. It absolutely pulls itself above the likes of The Goodbye Girl, just in those few songs alone. Just in those few songs alone. Uh, Put another Way, Shrek the Musical is the subway of musical theater. Sure, you could see yourself going to Subway for a meal and having a fine enough time. You'll leave full and generally satisfied. Maybe there are some elements of the meal that you really liked, but do you relish the idea of going back to Subway immediately? No, not really. But if someone was like, hey, you want to do Subway? You'd think, uh, sure. Yeah, I could do Subway again. It's not the worst relationship you could have with a chain restaurant and or a piece of musical theater. Now, the show that won the award for Best Musical that year was Billy Elliot, and the other nominees that year were Next to Normal and Rock of Ages. Should Shrek the Musical have won over all of these other shows? I don't think so. I'm more than comfortable with Billy Elliot taking the prize that year. Now, some would argue that Next to Normal deserved the win, but I remember Next to Normal as being a bit of a slog. Uh, Of course, we'll get full thoughts when we eventually come to that show. Uh, P.S. I just want to throw in a quick P.S. mini rant here. Uh Uh-oh, mini rant. Start the clock. Do people who complain about movies being turned into musicals understand just how many old school musicals are based on plays, books, newspaper articles, and memoirs? There are so many old musicals based on memoirs. Did people complain about those back in the day? Oh, brother, another musical based on a memoir? Who the fuck is this guy? Who the fuck is this dame? Who cares? When are we ever going to get over this trend? (laughs) I'm just saying that maybe stop complaining about movies being turned into musicals. It's never going to change. It's never going to stop. We've been doing it since the 50s. So just, I know there's a lot more of them now, but it's just the industry. And I say sit in it. Get your butt all sticky. Just sit in that swamp. I sit in the swamp. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode of The Musical Man without ranking the show against all of the other shows we have discussed in the past. I am going to place Shrek neatly between Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet of 1812 and The Goodbye Girl. Uh, there is, of course, a pinned tweet on our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod. Uh, if you click through on that pinned tweet, you will find a spreadsheet keeping track of the current ranking. Uh, the list will read as such, Passing Strange at number one, Kiss Me Kate at number two, Natasha Pierre at number three, number four, Shrek the Musical, number five, The Goodbye Girl, and number six, Big River. Uh, in terms of fast food restaurants, uh, if she had to continue this theme, if Shrek the Musical 
musical is comparable to Subway. Then uh, Passing Strange, I believe, is Five Guys. Kiss Me Kate is Popeyes. Natasha Pierre is Wendy's. Shrek, as I said, is Subway. The Goodbye Girl is Burger King. And Big River, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, you're White Castle. You're gross, and I don't like you. I do have a nice little bit of show-related ephemera, and that would be an ad for Shrek the Musical. I thought this was fake at first, but I do think it is real. And it is an ad for Shrek the Musical in which kids are delivering pre-scripted testimonials about how much they love the show. Uh, And we'll hear that, yeah? Yeah, let's hear that. Mm, Yeah, let's hear that now. Everyone's falling head over heels in love with Shrek the Musical. I laughed so hard, I lost a tooth. It really took my mind off the recession. I love, love, love it. It reminded me of the original production of Maine. This is a real Broadway coup. I think the older generation will adore it. I may never be the same. Shrek the Musical. Call or visit telecharts.com today. I can't get over, it's funny, the commercial is funny, but I can't get over how even the marketing for the show isn't allowed to be genuine. This idea that, oh sure, we could get real kids on camera who have real nice things to say about how they enjoy the show, but what if instead we fed them snarky lines written by a staff of underpaid white guys instead? <laughs> that seems to be the sentiment and the thinking behind that. It's fine. I just the kids are funny. The, some of them, some of them look into the camera in a weird way, and some of them are off-putting. But genuine, I, I like it. I like it. I like it. It's fine. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, The Lovely Pussy Willows of Arthur Kissimmee. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Alright, I have stepped off the musical carousel and I have discovered what our next show will be, and that will be a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical from 1976. That's right, we're going to the 70s, baby, and that show is Bubbling Brown Sugar. So, the next episode, Bubbling Brown Sugar, write it down, write that down in your little notebooks, everybody. It'll be your job to get ready, just like I do. Do the homework. I got this completely wrong last week. I I premiered the the I, I announced I should say the fact that the show has a Patreon page, but I got it wrong, everybody. I I got the web address for the Patreon page completely wrong. The Patreon page is Patreon.com/slash musical man pod patreon.com slash musical man pod uh, if you want to be a donor if you want to help support the show uh, you can do that in a variety of ways there's a one dollar tier a three dollar tier a five dollar tier and a ten dollar tier if you donate one dollar a month uh, like our latest uh, patreon donor zach zach piercy thank you so much you get a verbal shout out in every episode so thank you very much zach and of course thank you marisol This is your verbal shout-out for this episode. Thank you very much. If you're a $3 a month donor, uh, you get a one-time musical shout-out in the style of a composer or musical theater icon or character. Uh, Of course, we heard Marisol's musical.
musical shout out from Dolly Levi. Thank you again, Dolly. I hope you enjoyed that shout out, uh, Miss Marisol. If you donate $5 a month, you get to determine which show we discuss next. That's right. You can stop the musical carousel in its tracks and dictate which show we discuss next. Uh, Marisol did that for today's coverage of Shrek. That's what she chose. And so uh, if you donate $5 a month, you can do that as well. And if you donate $10 a month, you will get monthly bonus episodes. Right, that's right. Every month you will get an episode in a new series known as The Snub Club. The first episode of that is going to drop the last Wednesday of this month of February. I have chosen uh, the show's subject. Uh, I should say the show is going to be dedicated to, it's going to be dedicated to Broadway shows that were never nominated for Best Musical. They never even got that far. And we're going to determine if that was right or wrong. We're going to try and give credit to the shows that deserved it back in the heyday. And the the subject of our first uh, Snub Club episode is going to be Amelie. That's right. For whatever reason, Amelie is very intriguing to me. I'm not sat down with it. And I'm a little flabbergasted that it wasn't nominated. So we're going to figure out if it deserved a nomination. We're going to do that. And again, the first episode of the Snub Club is going to drop uh, the last Wednesday of this month. So get on board. Donate $10 a month. If you donate Uh, At any level above $1, you get everything uh, within the tiers that came before it. So if you uh, have a $10 a month donation uh, on the books, you get a show selection, a musical shout-out, and a verbal shout-out. You get everything. You get everything. If you're on iTunes, if you're listening to us via iTunes, uh, please go into the iTunes store and leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, You can stream the show at musicalmanpod.podbean.com, and we are also available via Spotify and Stitcher. The Twitter profile is MusicalManPod. Please like and retweet our posts. And you can email me at MusicalManPod at gmail.com. We got our first email this past week. Uh, That is from Zach Piercy. He shared his thoughts on Shrek the Musical. And from what I could tell, we were very much on the same page. Uh, Zach, I believe you uh, stated as such, you stated that you were kind of uh, thrown, thrown by the fact that Shrek does as much work as it does to be taken seriously as a piece of musical theater. And I agree. I agree. I, I don't know if I meant to be as harsh as I was today, uh, but in general, yes, I do. I, I tip my hat to Shrek the Musical for trying as hard as it does. Thank you to Alex Green for our wonderful logo and Zach Little for our wonderful music. <laughs> oh! Goodness gracious, that doorbell, it gets me every time. You know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and 